This week, as I was preparing and uh, planning for this opportunity to teach again today, um, subject of the Father in the Old Testament, last week we looked at uh, several passages which indicate that the Old Testament uh, believers probably had more of an awareness of who God the Father is and sometimes we want to give them credit for or opportunity for. It is true that he is much more clearly presented in the New Testament, but as we saw last week, uh, he declares himself to be the Father to them. Um, he also, they saw that in some of the names they gave their children, and so we sort of observed that, and I, this is just a, a thought, just an observation, not making anything worth really thinking about too far, but we talked about uh, uh, Christopher Wright's suggestion that the reason that they did not uh, refer to God as Father was because of all the confused, mixed up, perverted concepts of the uh, other gods and the other cultures, the polytheistic approaches to their gods and all that supposedly take, took place between them. <coughs> and so it made me, led me to believe that or think about the fact that possibly the reason that we don't see a lot of any more clear indication of the Trinity in the Old Testament than we do that was because of the <coughs> excuse me, overwhelming polytheism that was around them, that they were God was more emphasizing the fact that he was one God, even though he is three persons. And so that sort of just gave me something to think about a little while <coughs> while I was studying. I don't know if this is going to help, but we'll try. <coughs> So today, we know clearly that there are three persons in the one Godhead, and we know definitely clear, uh, that there is a trinity, that God is a trinity, that he is three in one, that they are in perfect harmony, perfect equality, they've always existed the same amount of time, and all those things that we know today about the trinity from studying the entirety of the scripture. And because we have that confidence, and because we, where we live today, have that confidence, we can, as we read the Old Testament, as we study the Old Testament, I believe it is very legitimate for us to look for references to God the Father, even though it may not be clearly, as clearly identified as it is in the New Testament. I believe that's a perfectly legitimate um, consideration. And I'm, and I'm basically trying to justify or lay the groundwork for why we're going to do some of the things we're going to do today. Um, they may have only seen that as God, just an aspect of God doing it for them. And they may or may not have thought about it as in the references that we're going to think about it because we're going to look at it as God acting as Father on the behalf of the Israelites. Um, so, but because we know that the Trinity exists and because we believe the Trinity exists, then we can look back and look at some of the Old Testament references which are only identified as God or Yahweh or Adonai and, and just look for things that are there that would indicate this may, this may be the second person of the Godhead, uh, this may be the first person of the Godhead, the Father, and we can do some of those things and see some of those passages. So, saying all that, I'll take a little break from that thought, and um, 
just ask you for some interaction. We've done this a couple of different ways um, in the past weeks, but um, I'm going to ask this question first for, to the fathers that are here, to those of you that are fathers. Okay, I realize that excludes some of you. That doesn't give you reason to go to sleep. Just want to try to get some answers from some of the fathers. <clears throat> from the ch- time you're, you brought your infant daughter or son home, what were some of the things that you did for your child? How many of you, I'm going to make you say, I'm going to say, how many of you are fathers? And as soon as you raise your hand, I'm going to call on you. <laughs> Steve? Okay, holding her as much as you could. Oh, and a very good diaper changer. Well, that's that's quite a compliment. Coming from a from a wife and a mom. What else, guys, did you do, Monty? Okay, bath time was Monty's responsibility. Okay, Amos. Okay, a love and comfort. Okay, John. Okay, we're concerned for their, for their well-being, concerned for their future, right? Is that what you're saying? Okay. Anyone else? Charles. Okay, provide instruction for them. Yes, John. Pray for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and uh, we still have three Johns in this room, so there's no reason, no wonder that one somebody has to look around to make sure they're getting the right person called. Maybe there, maybe there's more hiding here, but I know there's three. Okay. So, saying all that, if you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter one. And we're going to look at some metaphors in the scripture that describe the uh, ministry of God as father to the Old Testament believer. And again, last week I, I asked you for what a metaphor was, and Pam said that it was a word picture, which is very, very correct. And it's... Um, and I've given you something here on your paper. I mean, a simile is a, is a figure of speech that uses the word like or as. A metaphor is basically the same thing. It just doesn't use the keywords like or as to, to, to make us alert that we're getting to, to a figure of speech. But a metaphor is a figure of speech. It's just a word picture, just taking something that we are familiar with or can identify with and using it to help us understand something else. So... That is what we're doing here. And um, the first passage that I have is Deuteronomy 1. The first subject is God the Father carries his children. Carries his children. It um, wasn't mentioned directly. Uh, Steve talked about holding his child. Uh, I'm sure that if I had prodded you or led you down a path that all of you would have come up with this as an answer. Um, Many times we carried our children beyond the time when they needed to be carried. 
we just carried them because they wanted to be carried or we carried them because it was safer to carry them through a certain time or circumstance, but we often did that. Um, actually, just, just last week, having being aware of where I was going this week, just last week I, I observed this. Um, Pastor Rodney brought William down to the, to the gym between uh, Sunday school bodybuilders and the morning worship and was allowing William to run around the gym and and get rid of some of his energy. So William is running around and around and around and around the gym, getting you know, some of his energy out. And, and uh, he finally came over and to, to Pastor Rodney. And the first thing he did was put his, put his arms up. And first thing, next thing Pastor Rodney did was reach down his arms and, and picked William up. Now William had just very clearly demonstrated that he didn't need to be carried. He just ran around and around and around and around the gym. But he wanted carried. And the father's response was, carry him. Now, I'm sure that if Henry did the same thing, that he probably wouldn't get picked up and carried. (laughs) Not saying Pastor Rodney couldn't pick him up and carry him. But he probably wouldn't get that same response from Dad. But so the carrying action is just really something that remains with us um, for a significant time for a significant way. And in Deuteronomy chapter 1, um, Moses in so many ways, of course the book of Deuteronomy is, is Moses revisiting the wilderness experience, revisiting the times that, the, that God inter- interacted with the Israelites. It is, it is literally the word meaning the second giving of the law. It's the ex- explanation, the illustration of what God intended as he communicated and as he established a covenant with the people of Israel, as he entered into that, that covenant with them. Um, that is what the whole book of Deuteronomy is about. But here in this particular passage, he's just sort of summarizing and coming up to that uh, particular situation. Now, if you wonder why it says Deuteronomy 1, 19 through 46, and then verses 30 and 31, It's specifically verses 30 and 31 out of that larger passage that we want to look at. So, saying all that, um, I'm going to pick up with reading verse 26, and this is when they were to go into the good land that God had provided for them. And nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt Egypt to deliver us into the hand." the Amorites, to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son, and all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. And so the analogy here is used, the metaphor is used of a father carrying his son. That is the same way that God carried that million and a half Israelites down into the 
Egyptian wilderness across the Red Sea and then cared for them every day uh, during the time that they were in that wilderness wandering. And so that metaphor is, helps us to see God in this, in this way. Not only did God act in a powerful way, for instance, separating the, the waters of the Red Sea, not only did he did, uh, acted in what we might refer to as, even though that's a miracle, I understand that, but in that gentle provision every, on a daily basis as needed, obviously the one day they were to hold over, but the manna that, that was provided for them, the water out of the rock was provided for them. And they may not have, you know, sat down and de- made a deduction about it, the whole thing, but in that whole process, God was carrying them just like a father would carry his children. And then I would like to ask somebody to read uh, Exodus 19 um, and 4. Um, and if you, when you get there, if you can see where to pick up maybe a verse or two before and after, that's fine. Exodus 19, 4. Marsha? Okay. So he carried them like carrying them on the eagle's wings. And one of these things that I picked up out of the overall passage in that chapter was the fact that God communicated with the with the people of Israel. So it's under the topic of caring here, but and he, that is the direct analogy. But what we see happening in that section is this communication that that God the Father had with his people. And, of course, that is obviously such an important part of what happens um, between a father and, and, and a child. Um, sort of a sidelight here for just a moment, but one of the things that was always interesting to me uh, in a lot of the counseling that I did as a pastor was just getting the people that I was meeting with, either whether it be more than one party, a husband and wife, or multiple parties, or sometimes just trying to deal with one person to help them see the perspective from they were in. It was always just, it always came back to communication. It always came back to somebody just wasn't saying what they needed to say. They were just being quiet when they needed to actually talk. And so communication is a very, very essential part out of all of that. And then if somebody would read Isaiah 46... Three and four, please. Amos, please. Okay. Again, that concept of caring and deliverance and Daily care, watching over in a very, very special way. So just, again, just a word picture to help us to appreciate the, what the Israelites were expected to observe about what God was doing for them in the Old Testament. And that was in this sense of caring with all of its implications. We could, I'm sure we could expand a great deal upon uh, this concept of caring, what, what all is involved in it, and, and so forth. The second 
metaphor that we have here is that God the Father disciplines his children. Uh, At the bottom of that section, you'll see that I have made a statement. The covenants that God made were set up with a blessing, curse side of of the covenant. Now, the curse word is, I think, in some ways, a sort of a strong word for us. It it may carry more implication than, than we intend for it to carry. Um, obviously, the blessing word is like, wow, we feel good about it. We don't have to struggle with what a blessing is from coming from God. We're, we're content with, with accepting that and, and dealing with that. But the idea of the curses is something that may carry, in some ways, just a little more weight than we're, when we're used to wanting to put on the idea of consequences, uh, you know, so maybe a different word in curses might help you better to appreciate that what God is saying is if you're not obedient, if you're not serving me faithfully and lo- loyally, there will be consequences, and the results of that will be something you will feel and intended to make you stop, make you think, and make you change what you're doing. And so... Yeah. And if, you're, if you're perfectly comfortable with the word curses, that, that is fine. I, I'm, not, I'm just trying to maybe if that's like a word that just sort of like is really harsh. Uh, it's, and not, not the consequences weren't harsh at times. They were. But uh, it's not just a, you know, get away from me, never come back again, you're gone. You know, I wipe, I'm wipe, wipe, writing you off. God has always got the open arm side to the, his relationship with the Israelites, even during the times of consequences and difficulties. And if somebody would read Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 5, please. Yes, ma'am. Okay, and that passage obviously, as you listen to it, contains both the blessings that God gave the Israelites on the one hand, and during the very time that they were enduring the consequences of their failure to trust God and their failure to obey God and go up and take the land. So even during that time of consequence, even during that time of curses, God was still blessing them by caring for them and watching over them. And so the two go so, so closely and hand-to-hand. It is so difficult for us to achieve that balance. Um, I'll back up. It is so d- difficult for me to achieve that balance, um, and maybe some of you, um, to do. But God, because, again, of his perfections, and God, because of the fact that he does, cannot and does not make mistakes, is able to do both. He is able to put us in a time of consequences, and at the same time, we continue his blessings in, in our lives. We're, we see that as a sign of inconsistency, a sign of that we need to, to maybe, we just, our humanity just deals with that from a different direction. And then somebody read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and I have an arrow by, the word, by verse 12, so it might be more verses there to read if you want to. 
Someone? Proverbs chapter 3. Steve? Okay, and we won't read the Hebrews chapter 12 passage, but it is basically taking this, those, that passage over into the New Testament, and that is that because he loves us, the reason he disciplines us, the reason he gives us consequences, and it is the reason we as parents have to discipline our children, even though we all know that it is true, that it's harder to give discipline than it is to receive discipline. So it is a difficult thing. And I don't know, I, I always think about this when, when I get to this subject, no matter when I'm thinking about it, but there came a time when my, my father always gave instruction with, I'll use the word punishment because it was the word punishment. Uh, he always gave instruction when he, when he uh, had to mete out punishment in the way of spanking or whatever. Um, but I remember when it got to the point where he did the spanking less, and wanted to talk more. And I remember one time saying to my dad, would you just please spank me and get over with? I get so tired of listening to the instruction that I was just ready for the, ready for the punishment and let's move on, you know? Um, and so, uh, but there has to be both. There has to be that uh, intention to, to correct and change instruct and to make, make them better prepared to deal with life. That is obviously part of it. And God, that Father, has compassion on his children. Um, I will tell you that Christopher Wright in his book uses the word pity here, and I chose to uh, put it out as the word compassion. Um, and I would tell you that I, when, when John Stone was making his comments, that is the word that, that is where what John said, that, that's the category I would have placed it under. I would have placed it here under, you know, a, child, a father is, trying to stay one step ahead of their children, anticipating what's going to come around the corner for them in the way of life and trying to prepare them for that. And um, I think that all ties into the idea of having this compassion, loving them so much that you're trying to identify with them and respond to their needs. Um, Even if for whatever reason you don't think that at that particular moment they deserve it, it still is something we do because of our focused and concentrated love that we have for our children. And so someone read Psalm 103, 8 through 14, please. Steve, I'm, Steve, I'm sorry. Mike, I don't know why that came out, but Mike, go ahead.
Okay. Did anybody have, and maybe you didn't have your Bible open there because we don't, haven't really been taking time for you to get there, but if, does anybody know if they had a different word than compassion in that passage, in the English version you're looking at? Uh, yeah, what? Piteous. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Okay. And the next passage the Exodus 34, 6 through 7 passage has come up a couple times already, but we'll read it again uh, anyway. But it has been, it's come up in our study of God the Father in the Old Testament already a couple times. But if somebody would reread it again, Exodus 34, 6 through 7. Steve? Thank you. And again, just a familiar passage. We've read it at least, at least a couple other times as we've studied through here. But just a, a great passage describing the characteristics, the attributes of God. Beverly, Tammy is not here. Would you please have a head count? Thank you. Okay, if you would turn to Isaiah 53 with me, please, for just a moment. God having compassion on his children, this passage is going to more focus on the actions that God takes because of his compassion and um, not so much the word compassion in the context. Isaiah 53. And I know you're going to all recognize the, the passage and be familiar with it. I'm going to begin reading uh, in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we have seen him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. For he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I'm just going to pick up reading in verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make a soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. It shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And so God not only carries his children in protecting him and providing for them and being with them on a daily basis, and he not only instructs or disciplines or corrects his children, and not very clearly contained within the covenant-making relationship, the making that God made with the Israelites of the blessings and curses or consequences, God also has compassion on his children, ending in the death of, and sacrificial death of his only son, as described in Isaiah chapter 53. 
And God the Father adopted his children. And of course, this is a New Testament uh, principle found in Ephesians chapter 11. One of the many things that the Father is very clearly described as doing in the New Testament for his children. And so also some reference to it here in the Old Testament. And if somebody would read Psalm 27, 9 through 10. Mike again. Okay, so it doesn't use the word adopt, but uh, the, the Lord will take them, him in. And so I think it certainly carries with it, the, especially the idea of the being abandoned by their physical parents, by their earthly parents, but God taking them into his family and caring for them in a very special way. And then Psalm 68, 4 through 6. Amos? Okay, and again, not, doesn't use the word adopts, but it is the father of the fatherless. So obviously, those that would be in need of having a father, God the Father provides that relationship and that provision for them. And so God the Father adopts his children. Um, I, I want to ask a question, but I don't know if it's appropriate, so I guess I should just go past it. I, I just um, The idea of people adopting, and I know now that I'm st- taking time to think about it, I know that it is true. Um, I just was wanting to ask if you know, someone had personal experience with adopting, and then I'm sitting here looking and realizing I have them right in front of me. So um, it just, it's not something we ever did, but it was always just, something that was close to my heart, I guess. Um, my wife would not probably know, maybe know, know. When we were at the church in Springville, before we went to the church in Greensburg, uh, there were, there were um, three or four families that always had foster children in their homes. And it was something that, that, that I always really wanted to do. Um, but uh, first of all, my schedule as a pastor I wasn't sure that it allowed me the time or the energy to do it and and then I I remember specifically one specific time this man from our church stopped by our house I was working in the yard when he stopped by our house and it was just I don't know Steve probably might remind me a little bit of him in physique a big strong guy Got out of his car. He was just tears were just running down his face, and I, and his, I said to him, I said, "What, what is, what is going on?" And he said, "They're coming to take." And they had, he had, they had a little boy that they had been fostering for a couple years and had been trying to adopt. We're working through the procedure of trying to adopt, 
and they were coming to take him back because his, his mother wanted him back. And I just remember how devastating that process was, and I know that was something that probably also was a deterrent in my doing that, but just something that's always been there for me, just a part, but it's never, I guess I never pulled the trigger. I guess I never was brave enough to step out and do it. And so those of you that have ever done it, uh, just understand how much I appreciate the fact that you've done that. And if any of you are here or were adopted, I certainly would um, trust that you have you know, had a positive situation in that. So anyway, that was free. Okay, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, please. Uh, this is a passage that, or this is a subject that I don't know how many places you could, you know, it's probably a, hardly a, you know, turn to two or three pages as you read through the Old Testament without uh, being able to see this if you were looking for it. But the passage is to demonstrate uh, God's, where God the Father expresses grace toward us. Um, okay, I'm going to just pick up reading in verse 32. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. And then now he's going to go into what he's talking about. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God, There is none other beside him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might instruct you on earth. He showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because you loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance, as it is this day. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your hearts that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may, may prolong your days in the land which your Lord your God has given you for all time. And again, the word grace doesn't appear in the passage, but all the things that Yahweh did for the Israelites was because of his grace, because he had chosen Abraham to be the father of this great nation, and then God had retained his faithfulness down through the years, approximately 700 years from the time that God spoke to Abram and brought him out of the earth of Chaldees until now when uh, Moses is speaking. Approximately 700 years have passed, and during that time, God has always maintained his faithfulness to this group of people, starting as just a family, starting just as Abram and his wife, and then now extending to what is believed to be a million and a half people. 
God has just been gracious in every step of doing that. And that is the way fathers who are striving to be biblical fathers, striving to be godly fathers, are responding to their children in, in a gracious manner. And then we'll just turn very quickly uh, to these other passages here. Uh, some, again, some of them may be, um, have been noted a prior week, though I tried to eliminate the ones that were, and I may, but I may not have seen them all. But since we're in Deuteronomy, let's just go to Deuteronomy chapter 32. And this is just, again, God being, seeing God as Father in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 32, 6. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your Father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? And then over to verse 18. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful, and have forgotten the God who fathered you. And then um, the next in order would be to go to the Isaiah, chapter, Isaiah passage, Isaiah 43. In verses 6 and 7. I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong chapter, and so it's not reading correctly. Obviously, it will not read correctly if you don't get in the right chapter. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory... I have formed him, yes, I have made him. And though the word father is not here, obviously the word sons and daughter is. And then Jeremiah 31, 9. They shall come with weeping and with supplication. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. And finally, the first book of the so-called Minor Prophets, the book of Hosea, chapter 11. This is a passage that also has messianic implications, but certainly the first understanding that the readers would have had, the listeners would have had, would would have been to their nation at that time. And it simply says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So we're we're grateful that uh, God has uh, allowed us to approach him as the father, the Heavenly Father, the Holy Father. Um, next week we will look at uh, into the subject of God the Father and God the Son's relationship throughout time. Uh, after Easter we will pick up the matter of the Father in the New Testament, specifically looking at the book of Ephesians. 
Um, and then um, to wrap up the time that I will have in the, here with, with you, we will, we will look at our, our individual personal relationship with, with God as our Father and on a daily basis. So those are, that's, that's where we're headed to wrap up. Uh, I have uh, two, sun, two Sundays in May that I will not be here. Pastor Joe will be uh, filling in for me. I think he's going to finish up the names of God, which he started back uh, earlier in, this, in the quarter. And then well, we haven't figured out what he's going to teach the last Sunday, but that's where we're headed with all this. So let's talk to God. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you do all these things and so much more. This is not an exhaustive list. This is not an exhaustive study. It is just simply an awareness that you were the father to the Israelites as you are father to us. And I thank you that you are never out of touch. You are never too far away. You are never limited in what you can do. And your wisdom is never in question. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.